most pleasant to your ears. Don't trust me? Well, just do it. I'm licensed and credentialed. Today, this is eyesore. Today, and not like other days, this is eyesore. This is the only day that it's eyesore. This is a show where you learn about how do you paint people, places, and things in such a way that you get social approval with it because of your deft hands. Today's guest is Hannah McBroom. Hannah McBroom just now, recently, yesterday, graduated from the University of Arkansas. She didn't even graduate when we were talking on the internet airwaves. But now she has. Uh, back in the day, we went to undergrad together. She was painting these dead pigs and birds and shit. And I was weirded slash floored off my rocker by that stuff. Now she's doing more like um, human figures and being a transgender person. What is a body? What does it mean to be transgender? What is alienation in a society? It doesn't really understand that. Am I projecting here? I don't know. But looking at the work, I get that feeling. So we talk about, you know, the typical artist stuff that this show is probably going to be concerned with. Well, we also learned about grad school. What is grad school? I really don't know what grad school is, but I got a hint from this interview. Uh, so, you know grab some popcorn and a tube of paint and eat it and look at the show notes if you're curious about websites links and links to paintings so you can check out what her work looks like so anyway Um, you have just wrapped up your mfa show right i have yes i took it down um on sunday and i'm going by this afternoon to pick everything up with a truck so um it's really really finished (laughs) Um, how does it feel to dismantle everything that you worked so uh, hard well it's kind of exciting uh i i have a show in september we're gonna have a few of the pieces there um so it's like it's not the end of the it's not the end of like the work that i made um but it was really weird taking everything down on Sunday, no, it was Saturday actually, um, because I took everything down and then went to a roller derby match and it's like in two different like <laughs> worlds where you're seeing like women just slam up against each other. And you're, and before that I was like in a, in a house that was built like in the 1840s and like, which is very quiet, you're all alone. And so like going from like one, like one emotional space to another was kind of like, fun to go and go like okay this is a nice way to celebrate the ending of the show in a way it's uh-huh. like a bunch of like loud women <laughs> but it was good um i had a lot of people come out and the day before the thesis reception we had a um art gallerist um credit come in from new york and i can't think of his name his name was like um andrew and um oh yeah i know andrew <laughs> Um, but he he gave like this this wonderful criticism of the show where he went around to every room because the the show split up into different um rooms and i had it planned out so you would go from like the foyer into the main room down this hallway and you were just winding through this house and like you would end up in this room with just like blue and pink compositions and uh it was all about um like the body and gender and like these different 
spaces that you were in and then you had to walk back through the house down that hallway and into the main room into the foyer and so it was kind of like this um walking into like my headspace a little bit for people um and um it was but like the criticism he gave was like way better than like the reception in a way because at receptions they're like oh this is so good i love your work but he was going like this is working for this reason and i don't like what's happening here and you should be doing more of this this feels like an illustration this feels like more like a painting and i was able to get that and um and so when it came time for the show it was kind of like I want people to be talking about that kind of stuff instead of just general talking. Uh, I, I get Smoke. excited. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get excited when it's not superficial or when it's like when people go a little bit underneath the painting and they're able to like separate like the paint and then the image and be able to talk about how those two can like go together. So like, I really enjoyed the show just to wrap that up <laughs> uh, or to like mm-hmm. the short version um it was just bittersweet to wrap it up and like i'm very excited for like the next one um how much longer before you graduate or get your degree i a couple weeks left yeah no i have oh god i think i have four weeks um i graduate in may and i'm turning in my thesis paper um next week and so i'm trying to get the 15 pages edited and make sure that i'm speaking in like first person instead of first and third person right Uh, so (laughs) that's the biggest struggle at the moment (laughs) okay what are your plans after you graduate i know you said i've seen a red you're moving to st louis oh um not st louis Kansas kansas city yeah um like I had planned to like go to like a few residencies, but like the ones I've applied to and heard back from, like they're usually like letters of rejection. So like it's I'm about to actually look at some apartment spaces. Um, but my goal is just kind of stay there for two years and use that as like a launching pad for like um, starting up a studio. Um, starting up like a, a basis for like shipping off work because it is in kind of the middle of the country so it's easier to like ship work or go places there's like this nice um train that goes to like chicago or you can take like the greyhound to like new york or something right so it's like easily accessible and it's like it's not mississippi or arkansas it's a, it has like a lot of galleries and um there's funding, uh, a lot of funding through like the Mid-American Artists Alliance. Uh, I got a grant from them a year ago for, um, and that helped a lot with like just studio costs, like just paying for paint and stuff. So probably stay there for like two years and then like either go up to like Chicago or possibly like New York for maybe like a few months. Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's so, my... Go for ahead. anyone interested in uh st louis is, is there are there artists or spaces there of uh import that you can recommend like kansas city or st louis i keep saying st louis i know, <laughs> yeah, I know. like i have some friends in st louis and i kind of want to move there but like i have a lot of good connections so far in kansas city where it would be like better for me to go there um 
there's like the Mid-American Artist Alliance. They do a lot of rocket grants and um, funding. I think they have like a ten or $20,000 grant for like socially engaged work. Okay. And they do like 7,500 grants for um, $7,500 for um, just artists and they fund projects. Um, but there's also like the Artist Inc., which is like, this really nice um, studio space. It's like this um, brick and mortar uh, warehouse that was built, built in like the 19th century and like gorgeous brick, gorgeous windows. And you get it for like three years for free. And there's a, a studio, there's a gallery attached to that. So you get to have like these shows up front. Um, but there's like a number of galleries up there um, that are like on the mid level. I think a few of them go to like the Art Basel uh, every so often. So like there, there is like a commercial aspect that is interesting where you can get some of the, um, see shows that are actually competing on like, on a contemporary level. That's not just about like landscape paintings from like the 18th century. Right. It's actually like, oh, we're actually doing stuff with paint and it's interesting and you should come look. Like there's the, um, oh, the, the Crossroads has a bunch of um, galleries down there. Uh, no, Charlotte Street, sorry. And then the Charlotte Street Residency, um, which is weird space. It's, um, they give you a space for free for a year. And, um, but it's in the middle of like this metropolitan building. So you go up to like the fourth floor and like downstairs, everyone's wearing like three piece suits and like, these nice dresses you go up to like the third floor or something and like there's a fitness center and then it's the artist studios and they've just like taken over this entire floor and it's a bunch of rap scallions uh-huh and yeah. tank tops and shit uh-huh. it's like ramen noodles and like sawdust <laughs> <everywhere>. <laughs> <So weird>. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there's like a few options like, that can kind of get you like up and going um if you know like the right people to talk to and like where to go essentially um, and studio space is like really cheap. Um, like here in Fayetteville, like you can get a 100 square foot space for like $400. Um, and then in Kansas city, you can get for $200 or no, $100, you can get like a 200 square foot space. So, oh it's, okay. so it's like the space is worth it up there. Uh, you can like rent out a warehouse, um, the size of like this room, which is like probably around 1600 square feet. And you can get it for like maybe a thousand dollars. Jesus. That's probably, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, there is, you can start a cult there for cheap. I know. Um, uh, but you can like, there's just like, there's space, there's like funding and, um, there's like representation, like where you can go and see like decent shows every month. So, okay you know a guy named caleb nodal uh i i just interviewed him and he lives he just moved to kansas city so a weird coincidence i might i might reach out to him (laughs) yeah yeah he went to iu i think he knows zach but uh okay but anyway so um so tell me a little bit about grad school because grad school is still a foreign world to me um i've never been I don't know if ever will go. Uh, well, how's it been the past? You've been there for the past two years, right? Three years. Three years. Okay. This is my third year. Um, it's been a ride. Um, it's a tier one school. I think last time I checked, it's either tier one or tier two. So like a lot of the faculty members are doing like heavy research. And so the 
what I didn't know at the time when I applied was it has a huge uh, conceptual bent to it where you have to know a lot of theory and be able to like back up your work by talking about it, by like writing about it. And um, I think the last year I've been here, um, like every semester I was reading a book a week um, for like different classes. And so like, um, the critical art theory was like, we were reading a book a week and talking about it. And they were like books on like different topics, like happening, like today, one of them was like, on um, what, who is really Rembrandt? Like what is Rembrandt? And like, they would use quotations around the name Rembrandt because it was really just like collection of people who did it. So it wasn't just this one person. It was, um, like a w workshop um and that book was like that that murdered a lot of people because it was like i think 600 pages um and like we had to read that in a week and the person who was reading it for that week had to like um she was doing her candidacy and so candidacy is like this um at the end of your second year you go up to a panel you defend your work for about 45 minutes they kick you out and they decide on whether or not you should be part of the program. And so usually you get a second chance to do it again, like in another semester. Um, and that just basically clears the way for you to do like your thesis work. Um, so like the first two years are just like a lot of reading and like you're trying to like balance reading um, your work study and then like um, the, the studio time that you can get between like sleeping and like bathing like so it's just like <laughs> oh, you're going hard you're going hard um but like the, the program here is has been like super amazing because like every summer I was able to go to different I, I went to um Chautauqua School of Art two years in a row during the summer and they had um funding for that so like I was able to apply for a um research grant for over the summer and actually get funding um which was like super nice and uh, this last year, I haven't really had to take any classes. And so I just go to my studio for like 60 hours a week. And then I just have to work 20 hours a week in the wood shop downstairs. So it's been like <laughs> super, super nice just for like what they offer. Um, okay. And like, I think one of the other things is like the major component for me was like, I was able to get a, a full ride here. I was like one of the only people who got a full scholarship with a, um, with a stipend. And the second semester I was here, um, there was this big announcement that we got $160 million um, just in one semester. So that was um, 40 million from like a Wingate to build a new building and then 120 million from like the Walton Foundation. So like that Walmart money. Yeah, no, it's good. Like every grad student who is accepted into this program gets full funding and a stipend. And like, I think it's like $19,000 a year. And my rent is like um, two forty-seven a month. Jesus. Yeah. So it's like, I get to spend a lot of money on like. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's super nice. I really don't want to let you just yet. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you shouldn't pass me. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> I need to be here for another year. So, uh, I, what about Chautauqua? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah. Um, how, how is it? What What is it even? It's, um, well, it's hard to, to answer that now. Um, I'm, 
It was run by uh, Don Kimes, who was at American University for a number of years, and he, he took the reins of it, like, I think, like, 30 or 40 years ago, and it's, like, they bring, like, a, a number of artists, like, the year I first went there was in 2017, and they had um, Shangri Majumdar, uh, Gideon Bach, Kyle Staver, and a few others, like, in the first year, in, in that first, like, um, seven-week program. And they, they start usually in like mid June, go to like mid August. And it's, um, it's an intense program. Basically you're just going to like morning or afternoon sessions and you can decide on which ones to go to. Like I took a class with like Shangram for like two weeks and it was, or it might've been one week. I don't even remember, but it was just like, he would go around the classroom and he was like a mini drag queen where he was like, your, your brushes are so dirty. They would have, if these was if these were teeth, they would have cavities. Like oh he was just God. like he was just throwing shade the entire time. And then like Kyle would just like run in, and she was like this magical unicorn who was like, "Look at this painter," and we're gonna like. Um, she would get like the painting, and we all have like printouts of like that particular painting, like a Corbet or something. And then she would pose the model, and we would have to um, like paint from the reference and the model at the same time, and try and figure out like how they were doing like they're doing like softer tones or if they were doing like harsher lines, like how would you balance that out? So it was like a really wonderful, like magical, like art camp in a way. Okay. But you had like the free reign to like, just spend your entire time in the studio and just paint. Um, you painted in the, you had a class in the morning and free time in the afternoon? Or yeah, or, like, or you could versa. have, like, or vice versa, just depending on, like, who you wanted to study with that week. So, like, every week there was, like, a new visiting artist. Um, and then, and so it was, like, a lot of people from, like, New York, uh, one or two people from, like, Chicago. It was, like, everyone was talking about, like, um, Monet and, like, the Impressionist and... Not, not everyone, but, like, the last two years, like, I heard a lot of, like, oh, have you seen Monet or um, Caravaggio? And it was just kind of, like, they were, they were kind of naming off the same things. Um, Don has, like, retired. Um, and so from that program, and he's doing a program in Italy now. Um, but Sharon Loudon, who is, like, a really dear friend, she's taking over the program as the director. And she's bringing in, bringing in a lot of interdisciplinary and socially engaged artists. And so they have, um, there is a sculpture studio downstairs, so there might be some noise yeah. coming in. Yeah, no worries. Uh, but they, they're bringing in, she's bringing in like Harag, who's like the co-writer for like Hyperallergic. And oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So she's like bringing in some big names like that are not really associated with like painters, painters, that mm -hmm. what, it, what it's been known for. So it's like, it's exciting in that regard um, because there's gonna be um, like a lot of indigenous artists who are speaking about that, their practices. Um, and there's gonna be, um, uh, I think there's gonna be like one or two gallery directors who come in and give, there's gonna be a new like writing component, I think. Um, but it's gonna be a different ball game from what it, what it has been in the past. Um, okay. Yeah, change of direction, yeah. a new generation. So mm -hmm. back to back to grad school. What was it like? What was a what was a, a typical week like in terms of classes uh, and learning and practice? What sort of what would be the the mix? Of yeah, classes? 
Um, so usually we would have to take an art history and um, art history was usually like either theory or um, contemporary issues. So like I, one semester I was taking um, feminist art history, queer art theory. Um, and so I would go to those like probably like Monday, Wednesday. And um, for the queer art theory, we would just read the book. We would come into class for like an hour and a half and just talk about it. And then feminist art history, they would give you like a list of slides and like which ones to study. And you would have to be able to talk about um, female artists from like the last like a hundred years or more importantly, like the last 50 years. Um, and, and so you would spend like a lot of time studying for that. Like usually you would go to class in the morning and then I just like, would just go to my studio and paint for as long as I can and then go to work in the evenings where I worked at a um, wood shop in the department. And so I would help monitor students and make sure that they were being safe. And then I would also like, um, do fabrication and so like the last two years I've done um, welding for the university like I've built shelves and like um, appliances for people to use so it's been kind of cool in that end where I'm like I get to hold fire uh-huh. <laughs> um, but and then usually on the weekends I would just spend all the time in the studio that I could um, I think maybe one weekend out of the month I would go on a trip or something and try and get out yeah um but that's go to crystal bridges or something yeah or just go camping or something yeah, just, yeah. like run away because <laughs> uh-huh. uh, like I, d- I did spend like the first two years I spent a lot of time trying to be like in three places at once and so like this last year has been kind of nice where I can just like go in and spend like 20 hours in a day and then go home mm-hmm Oh, not 20 hours. That would be like ridiculous. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Like I think since like December, I've been coming into the studio like eight or 10 hours a day and then going home. Um, And that's been like really nice. Uh, Just being able to like step away and then come back the next day. And it's like the work's still there. How many days out of the week are you able to pull 10 hour days? Um, Like this semester, it was uh, since December, usually six days out of the week. Really? Would yeah. You, so did they? Did the classes wind down towards the end? Mm-hmm. You don't have yeah. to go to that many classes. You only have to get like the third year. You only have to go to like one class, one or two classes during the fall semester. And in the spring, you don't have any classes. You just meet with your committee. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you're... do you have classes like how many classes of like paint theory? Not paint theory, but like I guess more practice like anatomy color mixing Uh, how many classes like that are there there's not really any (laughs) okay i I wish there was um there's um david andre uh he gave a painting seminar one semester and he went over like all the technical aspects of painting and he gave like these mini lectures on like which paints to use which kind of mediums are best like which ones are more toxic um what's the best way to stretch a canvas like how do you make your own canvases and that that was like the most um beneficial when it comes to like painting technique um usually like the painting seminars which are required um are basically more about theory and discussion and like his was the first one that had those but we were talking a lot more about the technical aspects um and so i would say there's not really one that's set aside for grad school like grad school is more about 
theory and diving into your practice and trying to understand it on a deeper level and get as many, as much feedback as you can, because you're getting like a studio visit every other week okay. with different people. So it's not really like you're going to learn how to draw a spiral staircase and from like your imagination, like you're not doing that. Like you're, right. you're more reading like um, Lacan or you're reading um, like the latest critic who reviewed a show and you're talking a lot about, um, Oh geez. What was that? Um, Dana Schultz and whether or not she was right. In oh, doing yeah. what she did. Yeah, like you're, you're, yeah, you're having those conversations and like, those are like really interesting, but I have missed like the kind of like going to a class and like, let's learn about this advanced color theory. Like mm. haven't had that at all. <laughs> so. Do you have Neil as a teacher or do you just uh, see him around? I see him around. He's actually my committee head this year. Okay. Um, so, and that's like probably the most we've seen of each other. Um, we're in different buildings and so he's usually like super busy. Yeah. Um, but he's been like really, he came in like, I think two years ago and he was looking at, I think that was the same year that uh, I was making the one at the living living uh, room. And he kind of had this offhand comment where he was like, you know, your paintings haven't improved at all since you've left <laughs> I was like, no, no they haven't <laughs> and so it was just that, was, like a, that was uh it was what i needed i needed to yeah. hear that but it was still like thanks neil glad you glad you're here <laughs> glad you care <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he was i think he was like the only professor who was like you're dropping a lot of your technique that you've learned over the last year and that was like I am so happy he is here because he's been like kind of like a guiding force and being like technique is uh, contemporary in a way like the drawing and, and observation like those can be like um, fresh and engaging and you don't have to be like old school. Um, right. Right. So, yeah. So about the, uh, the practical, things that you were mentioning, someone came in and talked about mediums and stretching canvas. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what, uh, what your, whatever, uh, baseball card stats are for all that stuff. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> what medium do you use? Because. Mm, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I started off using like a lot of like alkids, but like they were so shiny and hard to like control. Like I just, I just switched to like a, um, like I started off all my paintings with like Gamsol. Um, the school recommends using like solvent-free stuff and like the ventilation doesn't let us use like turpentine or like yeah. straight DeMar varnish. So like I started off a lot of paintings with just like Gamsol and then switched to like a 50-50 mix of like Gamsol and like refined linseed oil. Um, and then towards the end of the painting, I'm using... Um, and I think right about there, I split off into two different areas. Like I'm usually using like Gamsol or varnish and refined linseed oil. And that one, I have to like mix it up a lot before I start using it because the Gamsol can't break down the varnish right. as well or it can't suspend it. And then um, the other mix I use is just like refined linseed oil. I'll just use that straight from like okay. the jar. You um, use... You use um you mix the varnish right into the final layers of paint? 
Um, I haven't just used straight um, varnish, but I have, um, I do have a mix that I only use outside and it's like, um, it's one third, one third, one third, which is DeMar varnish, turpentine and refined linseed oil. And that okay. one is like a little bit more potent. I've never actually just like poured um, like resin and like in, into like the, the wet paint and, say, and seen like what it's done. Um, like I'm really yeah. afraid of it being like too brittle and in case I need to like move stuff over time or roll it up, like it would start like cracking. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, kind rolling of like... a painting is the scariest thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's kind of like a pragmatic decision of like, uh, I really don't want to like have like a cracked area where it's like super fine and like thin and you can see like 10 layers deep into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I think a lot of my paintings are like trying to like recently it's been about like balancing like um thick and thin and like is it like opaque is it like transparent and trying to find like a meeting ground between those two and like remember like where those are <laughs> painting like um thick over thin or thin over thick in that regard mm-hmm. um so I was doing I did that in undergrad and I didn't realize it until like a few years later and I looked at like this was used to be like this flat matte surface and it was like all cracked. It was like micro fractures in there. Cause I had like put like this, um, super like thin layer over a thick layer. And I was like, uh, that's, that's why you don't do it. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of like my weird baseball card. Of, like that's, those are the mediums okay. I use. It was like just super basic. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, or I feel like they would be basic. Yeah. Um, I was seeing that you, uh, some of your stuff is on sewn canvas. Is that, is that canvas that you sew yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was like kind of a practical reason. Cause like there's been like a few semesters where I've run out of money. And so like, I was just getting like all these canvas scraps and I would um, take them outside and I would like use spray to heat up. And then I would do like, three seams down the middle so like even if you like tore it like it wouldn't like tear at that place um and and I started using it a lot more like I think in like a year ago and I was actually just like painting on separate pieces of canvas they were all shaped differently and then just like pacing them together and then like sewing them together and I think I threw out my shoulder at one point because like it, one of those paintings was like five by six feet and you're moving five feet like around 30 feet of canvas through like a sewing machine um, oh my god so it was like a good upper body workout <laughs> yeah I believe that did yeah. you learn how to use a sewing machine uh beforehand yeah, uh, my mom and my grandmother, like, they, I, I came, I come from, like, a huge, uh, like, quilting family, so, like, um, like, my, like, how I understand color theories is, like, from watching my mom, like, piece together quilts, uh. and, like, it's, does this color look right? No, mom, you should use this other blue, because it's more of this, and so, like, I think a lot of my, like, color theory comes from just, like, talking with her, and, like, trying to figure out like which patterns need to go with which. And so like, she taught me at an early age how to use like um, the sewing machine that she uses, which is like a Singer 221B, um, which is like this old, old classy, like kind of sexy sewing machine. It has like Mm -hmm. gold inlays in it and it's like, it's gorgeous. Um, And she has like 
huge collection of them. So there's, I think she has like five or six and she just goes to antique stores and picks them up all the time. Um, so that's kind of like where I, so it was like kind of like a natural extension when it came to that. It wasn't something where I'm like, oh, I got to drop everything and like YouTube this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I did actually go to like a Goodwill and find like this old um, or this kind of like cheap sewing machine because I didn't want to get like wet paint into like my mom's like and yeah. into the sewing machine my mom Sexy gave me. Sexy singer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I remember like one semester like in undergrad where I was painting with like oil, en- oil enamel paint and that was kind of a nightmare because like when it came down to like cleaning my brushes I was always like why are the brushes so hard (laughs) and I can never get everything out um and like one of the the nice tricks that um the painting class the painting seminar with like David Andre taught me was like there's um have you ever used um Murphy's oil soap I know, no, no. I know that brush cleaner stuff in the brown oh, tin, but. Yeah, don't use that. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this is the super simple trick to like get all your like color out. You get some old peanut butter jars and you yeah. get like a wire bracket on the bottom and you fill that with like Gamsol and then you just like wash them out and you take them over to like your, um, your jam jar filled with Murphy's oil soap. You just dip it in there and you grab the bristles and you just squeeze it out and you can see like all the color leaving the brush. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then like, you can just like, you leave them out overnight and you can come in and they're nice and stiff and then you can break them like they're a brand new brush. Oh my God. Murphy's oil soap. All you got to do is that. Yeah. That's all you got to do. You do Gamsol first. They like loosens up a lot of the pigment and then you use Murphy's oil soap and it just comes right out. And it's primed, primed and ready for action. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And um, I've, I've been using that for a year. And, like, all my bristles have been, like, just nice and sturdy. Like, they've held up. And they haven't, like, done, like, the... Yeah, yeah. So. You've kept them for a year because of Murphy's oil soap? Yeah. Or, That's like, awesome. longer than that. Like, I have some brushes that are, like, three or four years old. Like, they're kind of beat up, but, like... They've held up uh, just recently because you can also use the Murphy's oil as like a res- restorative. You can just leave them in uh-huh. and it will pull out. It will uh-huh. literally like soften up like the hardened paint and then you can just pull it out. It's like a facelift for brushes. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and you can <laughs> see it at like any grocery store in like the house cleaning section. Are you for real? Yeah. No, it's usually oh like, it's like 250 probably for like a... 32 uh, no meters. really I'm yeah 32 ounces like specialized thing you can only no. online from switzerland <laughs> no if you go to walmart in the it's like right next to like the goop hand cleaner like <laughs> that's perfect i yeah. know the goop yeah that's, that's stupid <laughs> <laughs> like is this is this a hand sign like what are you doing <laughs> this, yeah but yeah, I just use that and that's been like the biggest innovation in my studio where it's like keeping my brushes clean. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Everything else I'm just like, I got this new paint. Check this out. Look, Williamsburg. It's uh-huh. expensive. <laughs> yeah. It is expensive. Um uh, so I, I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh let me think here. How you seem like you've got a bit of a craftsperson uh edge to you or like a 
side aspect of you, I guess, working in the wood shop and mm -hmm. welding and all that. Um, uh, is that a part of the UARC culture or is it just kind of you introducing crafts and stuff? Uh, um, I think stuff? it's, or is it the people you hang out with? I think it's the people I hang out with. And I think it's just like a little bit everyone. Cause there's a lot of people in the program, like faculty and grad students who are like, really focused on their, their crafts in general. Like if you go over to graphic design, they're just like knee deep and like making sure like the font is just right. Or right. If you go to like photography, like the, the off print or the bleed is just like on point. So I think like there was even like a, um, do you remember the suggested donation po podcast where they're talking to the pizza maker? No. I yeah, hear that one. It's so good. They were they were talking to the I think they're it's a pizza maker who does like Neapolitan pizzas. Uh huh. I saw that one. I was like, I need to listen to this. Yeah, no, it's so good. But like, it's just like I, the environment around here, like at this program, is like craft is like a focus. And then like, if you don't know your craft, you don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> so like, you can like talk about you can talk like. Um, theory all day but unless your craft can back that up then it's not going to carry you at all um so like I, i've lived with like ceramic people for like the last two years and like they're knee deep in like crafts um and you can like they my cabinet is just filled with like ceramic mugs and then like there's sculptures everywhere and like all those are just like the technique and the craft that they put in there is just like super super refined and i love it <laughs> um but like, I think the only like crafty thing I do, if that, is that what you're asking or? or well, I, I'm, I'm actually curious how, uh, how that influences your painting uh, life, whether or not it, yeah. like, just not necessarily the painting itself, but how it, you know, like, do you build stuff for your studio or do you make little tools or yeah. painters or whatever for yourself? Yeah. So like, I built a desk when I first got here because I wanted something that I could actually like paint on. And so um, I think anything I've built for the studio has just been like kind of practical. Like the most things I, I build is just like canvas stretchers. Um, and like, I've gotten good at those where like people have asked me to like build stuff for them. And so that's been like kind of nice just to be like, okay, you want this panel covered with canvas. I can definitely do that. Um, and that's been like a nice like income, but like, I think a lot of the tools I use, like there's, um, like for like scraping canvases or like I just get like a regular squeegee or um, like I even have like this piece of plywood um, which is just used for like making crisp sharp lines or like dragging dragging it across like this is the one I use the most and it's just I'm kind of holding up a stick with just like straight it's a straight edge and then you can just like paint on it and there's like a lot of paint on the sides uh, where I've just like dra drug a brush across it. Um, so like that's the most innovation I've done in the studio for like craft, like crafting a specific tool. That gets you straight edges, <laughs> just having this stick of... Yeah. <laughs> that's so, that's like, that's kind of awesome. Right. And I never, <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to steal that. Yeah, definitely. There's a, a really cool tool. They It's for like drywall spackling where you um, can hide the seam, but it's this long metal bar. It's very thin and you can uh, use it. You can load it up with like spackle and like do some drywall in a day, but like it's perfect for like the same thing of just getting nice crisp edges or like 
I will even use it for like when I'm adding like gesso to the canvas, like I will actually use that to spread, help spread it around because you can actually just move the gesso from like one area to another. Uh huh. And it's like super even. Do you lay in flat? Like when you're just blocking in big swatches of, or big, you know, areas of color, will you use that too? Um, I'll use that or I'll just use like a two inch brush and then just okay. like go to town with like some Gamsol and just like, just start sweating it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like, what's, so, the, oh, what's the thing, what's the thing that you were talking about? Um, what is that thing that you use for the gesso, the, the drywall uh, thing? It's like a, I don't even know what it's called. It's like a, um, it's a scraper you can get at, at Lowe's. Um, mine is just like this metal, thin metal bar that's very flexible. And it has like this plastic um, like handhold that you can use. And it's like, I think it's like probably like $5 at like Lowe's. Yeah. I'm curious, what does your palette look like? Uh, I've, do, do you work on like a, on like a little glass thing? I've got this little yeah. uh, wooden um, board, but yeah. We have these tabarets. I'm going to move some stuff around real quick that the school built. Uh, um, some GA built these at some point, but they're these nice um, like wooden structures that have um, like a glass yeah. slab on top of it. And okay. Then, um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And is that, just, is that installed in the... Wood, uh, the wood itself is the glass it's just, surface. Like, it's just like duct taped on. <laughs> uh, duct taped on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first semester we were here, we were just like scraping off the duct tape and like cleaning the glass. Uh -huh. So it's like, it's super like um, homemade. Um, but yeah, I just, that's what we use. And I can just like, it's really versatile where you can like just roll it around the studio and um, just store like paint underneath it. Uh -huh. um, which is like super helpful. I think like one of the things I forgot is like I use plastic wrap a lot and that I'll just like lay across like my paint and that will help keep everything like um, wet enough for like the next day or like two days away. Like the paint can still be like fluid enough and it hasn't like hardened up. Yeah, you just lay some saran wrap over the yeah. uh, over the palette. Okay. Uh -huh. Do you have to like spritz it at all, or just stretch no? It I just like stretch it over, and then I come in the next day, and it's just as wet as how I left it. Um, okay. Usually, like like the umbers or like ochres, like those usually have those are usually like have like this nice skin on them. Yeah, right. A little bit. I like that. I like that ochre skin. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> like I, I switched from like ochre to like yellow transparent oxide and that's been like a major innovation because I really haven't I've never liked um yellow ochre that much really that's my no. favorite color <laughs> <laughs> no I'm a yellow oxide transparent person now because it's like it's similar enough and you and it's like it's easier for me to kind of like get the right skin tone that I'm looking for you're just like, yeah. it's, it doesn't like it's not as potent as like yellow ochre like you can actually just like tint it a little bit um so oh yeah and this is my favorite thing like above me it's just a series of pegs and i can just raise and lower the painting depending on like oh my how, god if i want to sit or stand that day that's actually brilliant i think i heard that like <laughs> dolly had this like weird you know what I'm talking about? Like he had yeah. this machine that was like 
like a you joystick and it, it would move the painting around. Yeah. There's a uh, Chuck Close. I think he had like this two story studio space and there was like a slat in the wall and he would just crank it and it would raise the painting from like the first floor up to the second floor. Yeah. And that was a way for him to like work on different areas when he was like in his wheelchair or he is in his wheelchair. So yeah, um, that would be cool one day <laughs> just to have that. So yeah, I'll just describe this. You have a series of pegs on the wall that you just uh, yeah. like a ladder almost, and you hang the top of the canvas up on there. Yeah, and, and you I'm can just, just adjust. <laughs> yeah, I'm just using I'm just using screws that are I think they're two inch screws, and then just drilling them in until they're like well, like maybe half an inch is sticking out, and that's enough yeah. for like to hang a painting on there. Um, and I think I have like I had like a. I think over like 32 pegs because I was working with like six feet canvases and like I need like a wider spread. Uh-huh. And I think like over time, like some of the pegs like start doing like this. And so as you're unscrewing them, they like corkscrew. Right. It's kind right. of a nightmare. <laughs> but for like short term, they're really good. Um, yeah. Do you not even use an easel anymore? You just put it straight on the wall? I just put it straight on the wall and it's uh-huh. been like, super versatile but it has been problematic where i've wanted to like paint on like paper paper or something and i've had to take out different sections and then like drywall it again and sand it down so i wouldn't have any like weird ridges or like bumps coming up oh um, yeah yeah um but yeah it's it's been like the most helpful thing like i've actually like my easel is just like holding up like the six foot mirror i have Okay, that um, giant mirror that she is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that one, I think I snagged from, like, the garbage because, like, the department was, like, throwing some of, like, the old school ones out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, like, a metal bar with, like, a support at the top that comes out. And, like, if you don't screw it in the right way, they'll, like, fall over or something. Um, so it's just one of those. Um, so. Okay. I don't know. I- I'd like to talk about your process of making paintings and we can do that a number of ways, but I, it, if you'd like, we can talk about the paintings in your current show, like how you, uh, how you kind of work from conception to finish and mm-hmm. especially the, the actual physical part of painting, but how'd you get your reference photos and how'd you assemble it? How'd you, um, yeah. You know? So like a lot of the, the references or the paintings they start off just from like really dumb sketches just like here's like a little head here's like the kind of general space and then like I'll do like 12 like semi-dumb drawings and go like okay this one I really like these three and then I'll it's like kind of like process of elimination but like I'll do like a really refined sketch and then I will usually like bring in bring in like models or something and I'll go like okay, here's the sketch. This is kind of what I'm looking at. And it looks really similar to like a, um, um, a storyboard for like an animation uh, or for like a direct, for a director to do a shoot. Like it just looks like that. And I have like the models just like get in that position. I tell them like what this, the narrative is and like what the feeling is in the, in the room and like kind of like what their roles are. And I let them like play act a lot of time like for the kitchen one I was like just get in this role and it's basically y'all are about to have a hookup but there's like um this weird tension where y'all don't know who's gonna like get on top of who first <laughs> so, like, <laughs> um 
but I also showed them like this. Yeah. And, and so I, that's usually how they, they work out. It's like, I will just sit there with a camera and just like, or like a voyeur and just start taking images of them just like moving and engaging with each other. Um, and then from there, I'll just like take those reference images and I'll do like another drawing and find out like where I want specific things. Like, do I want like this to be like soft over here, like the arm going back into space or do I want it receding? Like how much of a cartoon do I want and how much, how much, um, what kind of realism do I want in the piece? Um, and so that's kind of like the process of like building it up. And then like recently I've been doing like a lot, like larger paintings, which have been like very framework where I can go, go into like a, an area that's like 12 inches, but it's only making up maybe like a 60th of the, the canvas. And I can really explore like the mark making and like um, what's happening in those areas. And so like, a lot of times I'm just like blocking in like just the simple colors and like the light that's happening. So like with the kitchen scene, uh, I think that one's, yeah, that one's still untitled. I haven't come up with a title for it yet, but it was just like blocking in the black, blocking in like where the counter space is and like underneath the counter space and above the counter space, like those weren't blocked in at all. So it was just like white for a long time. And so I finally like um, decided just to like, block those in with just like a general like black um but i don't i just use like i don't use like normal just like out of the tube black it's usually like a, a mix of like um purples and reds and then like um um i've been using perylene black which is like a really nice one from like uh winsor newton but it has like this lovely like greenish tint to it mm -hmm. um and i actually did a glaze of that over the back of the space at the last minute and that had like this this luscious green that kind of looked like Slytherin like the house colors were Slytherin uh -huh. for a bit and I was like okay probably back that up a little bit <laughs> um and so now it's like this kind of warmish like green blue almost a little bit of blue um but I just go in from like those simple like shapes that and then just start working up to like more complex forms either and like how the drawing's happening with like the hand or the tattoo or they're like more like nuance like with like the stuff that's happening like on the sides like what's happening with like the back and then the the back that leads up to like this blue shape which is like a window and then like what's happening on the counter space like i think my favorite part of that painting is um this paper towel roll Mm -hmm. um that's happening there and like the the actual focus was the counter space um like I wanted to have like this painting that was kind of like you would just see like the main light source was hitting like the paper towel like the cup mm -hmm. and then like the candle in the middle and then the figures would be like um kind of just like pushed back to an extreme and so like you would just see them at the last minute I think on this one like that orange is gone now and so that was able that blue behind um the person with the tattoos like that came a lot more forward um so it was just like making small decisions like that and like those stools okay so okay so this painting um <laughs> I wanted to like squeeze in like a lot of like my favorite painters like the the best of um and so like the candle is like um <laughs> Gerhard Richter and then like the the towel and paper tower like Felicia Porte yeah and like the stools are Neo Rausch and like it became kind of a problem where I was like okay I'm just like 
this is kind of like the weird greatest hits paintings. It isn't really like my painting yet. So like I have a special relationship with this painting where I'm like, I really like the technical proficiency, but like for a long time, it just felt like an, an illustration of an idea. And it wasn't until like I started like experimenting with like glazing and like really knocking back like the figures in the background and or like I was making like mini paintings like on the fridge magnets um, that started to feel like Mm -hmm. more like my painting um, where I was able to like actually like make decisions like okay that orange painting needs to go like I need to like like fill in a little bit more information with like um, the color relationships of the arm because that feels flat at the moment Um, and I worked a lot more on like how like the tattoos would go around the arm and that felt more like a painting than the overall painting. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was, that was like the weirdest painting out of the show where it was like, this one doesn't really fit in with any of the others. Um, just with like the techniques I was using or like the overall aesthetic of it. Um, Cause there's one of like um, the, I called it picnic. It's called um, ghost now. Um, that's the one where I was like the most where I was experimenting the most and making the most progress because I was like smacking my head up against it for like months on the end and that one's actually sewn in the middle and so there was um, for a long time it was like um, I think around like 60 by 48 and so I just like I had it turned around for like a long time and I took it out at one point I'm like what would it take for me to paint on this again and so I just sewed three feet on top of the canvas that was there already and just extended like the landscape. Um, and that made like the world a difference where I was able to like, it wasn't about the figures. It was about like kind of that space and those figures just happened to be in there. And so that, um, and that one's like 74 by 84. So like I was standing on like ladders. I was like deadlifting it by myself and like, focusing on like areas that could only be in that section and so like how many times can you paint a leaf before like you get bored and you have to like make a decision where you're like okay the leaf needs to be more shaped like this or it needs to be like moving more like that and so like that painting I'm like the most excited about out of all the paintings in there that one and the the one called holy which is on the bed um because I was imagining like what would like like an like a painting of dysphoria like what would that look like where like this the weight of like the world is kind of like crushing you and so I like I went into photoshop on that one and I actually cropped together like two two bodies like two two images I had taken of myself and so like the the front of my body is actually like a lot bigger than the feet and it goes it's literally going back into space and then like I'm I'm like forcing the like perspective so like the being there's like this weird like loop that happens from like the 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 head and the hands and it goes um down across the belly or in the blankets and it goes back up to the feet and that same thing is kind of mirrored in like the pink wall that's happening above it Hmm. um and like the I think the most frustrating thing about like a lot of my paintings is like, I haven't gotten a good, like, it's really hard to document them sometimes. Cause I, I, the best part of the paintings are usually like six inches away where you're like looking at like how the marks are moving. Yeah. 
And it's like one of the weird things I saw at the show was everyone was standing back like six feet and looking mm-hmm. at them. I'm like, no, you got to get up close. And then they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I see it. I'm like, yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I'm, uh, I'm looking at that kitchen painting. I don't have the other, I don't know why I don't have other paintings uh, saved here, but the kitchen painting I do have saved and I'm looking at it. Uh, I'm just thinking about once you mentioned that straight edge thing, are you, were you using a little, um, a little wood stick in getting some of these hard <laughs> edges? Because there's some real good hard edge work going on. here. Yeah. 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 That was, um, that was actually just 3M blue tape. 3M um, blue tape. Okay. I was wondering if you were, yeah. if, you, if you weren't doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's a few areas where I'm using that edge. I think probably for like the stools or for like the line underneath like the stove top or like the paper towel, like anything that's kind of small, I'm using that straight edge. Um, okay. It, so that, that can get you a, a straight-ish edge, but not a purely like beautiful hard edge, right? Yeah. Okay. Those like, those take like a while to kind of get into place. <laughs> um, Seems like it. Yeah. Yeah, because like I think just to be able to get the top of the like, the the counter space where that light is, um, that took maybe like ten or fifteen minutes to kind of block out the tape and then work just like a line because you're working um, you're painting on top of the tape and then you're pulling out to the canvas and you're not going the opposite way. That's where like paint goes underneath mm-hmm. accidentally, and so that that takes a while to kind of like feather that out in a way. Um, but when you do it and you spend the time on it, it's like this super crisp line. Mm-hmm. Um, only problem is like, I didn't spend a lot of time doing it a lot of times. So like, I think in this, this um, version of the painting, like there's a lot of body edges, which I like, like underneath, like above the stools, underneath the counter, there's like this gray band that goes across and it kind of pulls out underneath yeah, it. Yeah. I, I love those areas. Right. But those are like just mistakes that were like, well, that happened. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but you can kind of see like what happens when you don't do it right at the bottom and at the top, like that's what happens when you do it right. Okay. Uh, when you're, when you're doing that, when you were delineating it Mm. at that large scale, um, how did you, how long did it take to get the lines to lie right such that it looks like it was in perspective? How difficult was that? Was it difficult? Not really. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I, I spend like a lot of time, like it's it been a, a long time. Like it, it's not difficult, but you, you'll just spend a lot of time just um, drawing and then redrawing like different areas and then stepping back and going, okay, this, this thing that's over here needs to be moved over like an inch. Yeah. And that can be frustrating when you've like drawn it like three times or like 10 times and you're like, it's still not right. Um, But until like it's in place, it's not really going to be like what I'm interested in. It's usually not going to be a good painting uh, or the composition isn't working how I want it to be. And so I think like the stools were not in there originally and I had to go back to my apartment and, and like look at the stools and take like reference images and then like I just spent I think a whole day just like placing them and then like and then the next day I started painting so I spent like a whole like eight hours just like moving those stools around just in like the drawing 
Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it, it just depends on like what I'm working on, like the initial painting, like it usually takes like a whole day to block in like this kitchen scene. I think it took like a day or two just cause there's a lot of elements in there between like the fridge and the cabinets. And like mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm going like, okay, where, what, what am I looking at? And it's just a matter of like looking back at the mirror or walking back or looking at the reference image and going like, this is his thumb. That's his thumb. Okay. Let's block that thumb in. Right. Um, yeah. How do you do an underpainting? Do you do a whole grisaille layer or do you just kind of uh, delineate, you know, just layer what a, everything? What is a grisaille layer? Grisaille, like a black grisaille. and white grayscale oh. underpainting. No, I just do like the dumb colors. So if it's... The dumb colors, yeah. Yeah, I'm just calling it that. Uh, it's probably someone else has used it. Um, but if it's like, if, a, if it's a figure... Um, I'm usually leaving it kind of blank and then in the, sur- I'm going to back up, backing up. Mm-hmm. Um, beep, beep. Yeah. Like the, the portrait series I did, um, a lot of times it was just like blocking in the shape around my head and then blocking in the, the, the shape of my head. But before that I would usually use like this vibrant color. So I was using like pyrrole red for a long time and blocking in the portraits or they're just like the canvas with just like this bright red. And then I would start like drawing on top of that and get the um, drawing of my portrait and then like um, blocking the color around me. So usually it's like a grayish blue, which is like the color behind me um, for like a lot of the paintings. Um, but towards the end, I was actually blocking in paintings that I was working on behind me. So like I would have like, the holy painting which is the green one and that was behind me i think in three of the paintings towards the end like you can see kind of like a beginning and end to the painting um like over those three portraits and then i'm just like um with the figure itself it's just like okay i'm doing the eye sockets the general shape of the head and then finding where the center is and then just going really just back to like figure drawing and going, okay, how do I like make this like structural? Like I'm I'm mostly focusing on like the structure when I'm like blocking it in and going, okay, where's the light hitting? Where are the shadows going to be? Um, And then like how far apart is my nose from like my eyebrows? And then how far down are my eye sockets from the eyebrows? And, And thinking about like those spaces and like pushing some of them out, pulling some of them out, depending on like, what I'm seeing, like I tend to draw things that are like when I'm doing like figures, they're a lot taller than they should be. Like I've, mm-hmm. dr- I've drawn some figures where they're like, they're 10 feet when they should be like five foot four. Uh-huh. So I, really, I really like stretching out stuff. And so I have to like remind myself to kind of compact everything back in. Right. And then, and then it's just like, once I get down to like where it's like kind of in a decent area, like I'll start blocking in. And like, I think my starting palette is, has been like, um, recently it's been like flake white, um, Georgian, um, Dal Roland makes this really gorgeous Naples yellow. Um, and it's like definitely a hue. It's not like the, the actual Naples, but like I'll use that a lot for like skin tones, um, just mixing that with the flake white. And then recently it's been like, Quinacrodine, like uh-huh. those colors, I'll use like the reds, the magentas, and the purples. I really love the purple 
um, because that with like the Naples yellow, you can get most of like the tones that you want to get for like a, a basic portrait. Really? Yeah. Between quinacridone, what purple and yeah, Naples and, yellow? And Naples yellow. Um, and then like I'll mix in like a like a pyrrole red or like I keep switching between like different reds. <laughs> like it's either like pyrrole red or quinacridone red or like um, Indian red. Um, recently, I got this. Um, <clears throat> Pyro Orange um, from RGH, uh-huh. and um, this has been like an like a really cheap replacement for like um, Cadmium Orange. Yeah, and like I use that a lot in um, like some of the portraits um, as a because I, I tried like using um, Cadmium Orange like earlier on in the like later on in the game, and was like enjoying it, but like I was running out of it quick. Yeah, um, and so like a lot of my paints come from RGH cause like I can get like bulk paint and it's usually cheaper. Huh. Um, I've never heard of RGH before. Dude, they're in like New York. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. This, um, this is flake white. It's like, I think a pint. Um, so oh just, my like, God, I can get some flake white. Yeah. So like, I think this was, I think this was like $30 or something. Okay like 20 or 30 and I'm not sure um but like I think when I was like an undergrad I was getting like I could get a quart of like zinc and then a quart of like titanium for like I think it was around like 80 dollars or something no no total is like 120 dollars for those two so it was around Hmm. 60 for like a quart of that uh I think they've gone up since then but like I use them for most everything <laughs> for most, most of the paints I have is like RGH. Um, I think his name is Ralph probably. That's uh-huh. probably, probably cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, um, so you, you will do a, the under painting that you'll do is like just oh, yeah. Gamsol down uh, mm-hmm. umber or like some color. Uh, pyrrole red or something yeah it's usually okay. like gamsol and as soon as i get into like um like i'll do like one layer which is just like the simple shapes of like where the shadows are and like i, I have used umbers just to like block those in it looks like a lot like felicia forte's demos yeah, yeah um like i started looking at her heavy like i think about two or three years ago um before that i was looking at like Freud and like um you and Uglo and right like and I was thinking about those kind of geometric shapes and like abstractions and going okay how can I like like think about like shadow as like a shape or like the 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 cheekbones as like a different shape like how can you show something round and it's in the simplest form mm-hmm. while it still has like structure and you can like work off of that um that's usually like the first layer is just like blocking in those really simple shapes and colors. Um, and then like the next layer is just like that. Um, it's just like the Gamsol and refined linseed oil. Mm. And that has a, I think of it almost like as a tooth or grain. It has a better grain. Um, it has a better grip onto the canvas. If I keep like painting onto the canvas with like Gamsol, it's just going to, it just feels like kind of washed out. Like the color is just kind of, 
just bleeding out and like there's no solid structure because everything's just kind of like flowing over each other but as soon as that like that linseed oil comes in like it everything just hardens up and you have like these these structures like in the paint body that can actually like retain the structure that you lay down but it can also like retain like the color that you laid on uh-huh. um and so like a lot of the layers are like more opaque um like at the like a few years ago like they were a lot more opaque and I think it was only like in that since like December that I started using a lot more transparent layers. So I was thinking about like, what's the color underneath and how can I make this other color that lays on top of it that's more transparent and it creates like this third color. Like how do I get that to work? And so like the portrait series I have, like the, the two year hymn, like a lot of it was just like figuring out like technical questions and paint and going like, what kind of paint painting do I want to make and how can I get there? Um, and that one's actually a really cool series because you can look back at like the ones from like January 2017 and mm-hmm. see and see the one from like um, January or February 2017 and see the one from January this year. And there's this huge like jump where I was able to like focus on like structure, color, and technique. Like, right. Yeah. It's a. It's a. I mean, it, it charts your um, your transition mm-hmm. on hormones, but it also charts a, a transition of stylistic mm-hmm. influences. That's an interesting other angle to it. Yeah. And, uh, techniques. So mm-hmm. you're saying, I can, I think I can see that in the early days, it's it's a little more like Freud or a little more, mm-hmm. it almost reminds me of Anne, uh, Anne Gale or Anne Kale. Yeah, I, I loved Anne Gale. Like I have one of her like books. I think I, I might have been looking at her at the beginning, but I was definitely thinking about Freud and like making this painting that was like meaty and like could feel like flesh in that way. But like, I think when I look at them now, they, they feel like flesh, but I don't know if it's human. Like they're kind of like the colors hmm. like, is like gray and washed out and looks like um, that drunk guy you see in a sci-fi movie who's like you find him in the streets and he's just like covered in like no alcohol and stuff like it looks like that kind of flesh and I'm like no (laughs) gotta change that um but that was also like the light I was working with at the time which was like um this iridescent bulbs not iridescent but like this home office bulbs that were in like the space I was in earlier which is basically like this old frat house they turned into office spaces and a few classrooms and the, and the lighting was awful in there, but you could like, especially at night, that's when I was painting the most cause I was done with classes and stuff and I would go in there and like, I would have like this awful, like um, light coming down on me and it just kind of washed out my face, washed out like all the natural colors and turned it into like this kind of, I, I think a lot of those paintings look like ghouls in a way, just because of like the lighting and then also like the technique mm. I was using. Um, and it wasn't until here that I actually like started like improving my technique. Um, and that was actually just like from going to the Chautauqua School of Art and just hanging out with like Cal Staber and like Sean Grum and Gideon and, and those types of people where they're like, no, think about painting in this way. And that was like the biggest like technical jump where I was like, oh, I don't have to think about theory too much. I can just focus on like painting as a like as a concept in itself. Um, 
And so like the paintings after that, I think starting in like August, September, there's a huge jump in how like the, um, the portraits are like, they're actually filling up the space. There's a lot more structure. The color is better. Yeah. Um, and they're like starting the, the patches, the different areas in the portrait, like my cheeks, my nose, like those are starting to like consolidate themselves. But it wasn't until like a year after that, that everything was just like gelling perfectly where I'm like, yeah, I know how mm-hmm. to do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's kind of like the, the best look at like how my painting has changed and like painting style and in, in like the last two years. Yeah, I want to say there's been a shift that I've seen towards more of more vibrant, sat, like not saturated, but yeah, kind mm-hmm. of saturated, and also, um, yeah, just like a variety of colors. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a really big collection of colors where like I, I need to start experimenting a lot more now with like the tubes I have because I have like these iridescents from like. Um, rgh and like those are cool um but i really don't know what like some of the colors can do like um king's blue i haven't used that that much but i have like this container of it where i'm like i ordered this at one point because i was wanting to work with it um the coolest thing i've done recently is um based off of my studio mates practice he's been mixing um eyeshadow makeup which has like this kind of glitter into his medium. And that creates a really cheap iridescence because he was getting the stuff from like Williamsburg and like, he could actually just make the same color with just like mixing like um, Jeffree Star eyeshadow makeup into it. Oh my. <laughs> he would just crush it up and like mix it into the paint. And there's one painting from the show where I have like this bondage collar on there. Yeah. And I was like, I needed to make this kind of shiny and look like latex. And so I'm just like layering like, very thin transparent layers of like the black onyx eyeshadow makeup that's crushed up in like this perylene black and that's like what you kind of see and it's like if you if you shift your head around the painting you can see like this kind of glittery glowing like thing that starts to happen um because like the rest of my paintings are just like they're they look like flat color patches that start Mm -hmm. to describe like volume and 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 space but right I haven't really used glazing that much to like describe like form and shadow and that, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's been like a recent development. It was um, really that latex that got you into <laughs> glazing. Yeah. It was just like sexy painting, like <laughs> using uh-huh. like, um, like I think that painting came out of like a, a, like a studio visit and a hot tub, like over, I think November or something. Like I was sitting with, um, Allie Lemon like in the hot tub and I think it was like 11 o'clock at night and we're talking about our studio practice and she turns to me and she's like your paintings aren't like risque enough or they aren't like taking any bold moves like they're taking bold moves and like technique but they're not really like in the in the images that you're using and I was like okay and so I was like I really wanted to do like um paintings like based off of the character so I just had like this idea of like um this character in like this like slick sexy like latex panties and like bondage collar because i was interested in kind of like the white torso up against this shiny right like latex thing um and like making those two work together 
Um, so that's kind of where, like, where that painting came from. And then like just using eyeshadow makeup was like, hey, studio mate, friends. Um, Jody Thompson, if you don't know him. Um, mm -hmm. He's actually really cool. He was in New York, New Jersey for 20 years working as a realist painter. And then he came to the university here and he's been um, making these gorgeous, like abstract, abstract paintings that actually like look like these sculptural, like realistic forms. Uh -huh. um, so he's like going back and forth a little bit. Um, but like he, he, he's pointed out like a lot of like, technical ideas he's like why don't you use tape to make straight edges why don't you like use like glitter to yeah. kind of like mixing into your paints like he's the one who's like i think most of like my innovations and like like technologies in the studio has been from him because he's like tried everything <laughs> yeah i was gonna um, say it seems like uh be working in like a shared space or a communal mm -hmm. space is uh is really a key to to learning or like it's something that i overlooked for the longest time but I'm, I'm glad you were talking about that because having yeah like mm, yeah, it seems having, like having yeah, yeah having someone in the space is super nice um because they're not always there but when they are and you're like struggling with the painting where you've been like stuck on it for like a few days i can just like go into the studio into his studio and be like I need your eyes for a second and he can come in and he's like, these are what, this is what I'm seeing. And it's like a, a first perspective. And then, um, but he's also been like, he's been very like generous. And so like, I'll go into his studio and like do the same thing. I think at one point he was like painting on my paintings. Like, or I was like, I don't know what to do here. And he just like grabs my brush and he starts like working on it a little bit. And I was like, Oh, it makes so much more sense. Uh huh. Um, that that's been like some of the like, the cooler moments where you're like, okay, this is actually like a a community space where like different ideas can crop up. Like if I was just by myself, then like there would be a it'd be very difficult to kind of make those those jumps. Um, if if there was like no one in this in the space, so right, it's been very beneficial for me just having like that kind of community. Um. And I think if I go to like, when I go to Kansas city, I do want kind of like a shared space where there's like multiple people in a room when there's like maybe a little bit of shenanigans and like not too much. Mm -hmm. I'm going yeah. to keep you like entertained. Yeah, a little, bit, right? <laughs> a little drama going on. Uh, so you're not like in a closet going like, I should get out probably. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I should probably talk to someone. It's been a week. Uh-huh. Get some sunlight, maybe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do want to ask you about your uh, your dead animals because yeah. when I was an undergrad, I remember your you were working on these mm -hmm. like dead dead blue jays, dead mockingbirds, you had this <laughs> dead pig, and I was like, <laughs> we went to the same we went to the same uh, undergrad place in, in Mississippi State, mm -hmm. and. And I was, uh, I was like, where do you get these things? I was like, <laughs> so I kind of, could you talk about your dead thing, your dead animal? Yeah. How did you keep your dead animals? How did you preserve them? All that stuff. Oh my gosh. That was in a class with, um, and not, no one really knows that I was painting dead animals. And I think you're one of the few people who remember that. Um, I was in a class with uh, Jeffrey Hopped and we were, um, 
I don't even remember what I think it was like an individual study with like or like advanced painting and I was wanting to paint I was looking at like Freud and like um I think a little bit you and Uglo and I was interested in like these kind of objects that are like I was interested in like bodies first off I was like how like flesh starts to move like like on the arm like seeing like the blood vessels and I was interesting interested in like the idea of like putting that into a visual 2D space and how that relates with the, the space around it. So it was a very like, um, it, was a, it was a question that I've been interested in. And like, I had, I think at the time I was paying models to come in and like pose um, and like, I think like putting out like $20 for like three hours. It was something like that. And I was spending a lot of money doing that, but I wasn't painting at all. And so like, Around that time, there was, um, I lived in a area that's like 14 minutes out of the city. It's in this uh, kind of like, we're the only house on like this dirt road. There's like our next door neighbors are like half a mile away. Um, and there was like somewhere out in that area, there was um, a series of pit bull fights that were going on, like arranged pit bull fights where there's yeah. money. And I remember like running one day and finding like a corpse in the bot in the, in the, in the woods and going like, there was like, it was a, this gorgeous white pit bull. And um, it had like two bullet wounds, like in the back of its head. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I, and I was just like, and they had dumped it off like about 20 feet from my house. Like it was in the woods and I had just, uh -huh. And I, I was just like so fucking pissed. I was like, how dare you? And um, it was kind of morbid. It was around the same time that I had um, had a table saw accident. And so like, I'm missing a digit on my hand. Oh, God. They had just. Wait a minute. How come I never knew that about that? No one knows about it. Like, it's I never even noticed that. <laughs> You've had that probably since the time I met you too. Yeah, no, that was I've like known you for years. So yeah. I never knew about that. <laughs> it's super not obvious. Like I have um, the blade went across like all four fingers, and so there's yeah. like scar tissue. Um, so that was around. That's your screen. left hand, right? That's my left hand. It's not my okay. pinky hand. Okay, <laughs> pinky hand is good. And so like, um, and so I had just gotten out of the hospital. I was in a cast, and like. I had this painting problem where I'm like, I want to paint bodies. And I had this dead dog. Yeah. And I was like, okay, there's a fridge in that studio. So I can just like, and I talked to like Jeffrey Hobbs about it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on cutting this dog's head off and painting it. <laughs> oh my God. He was just like, he was kind of cool about it. He was like, yeah, sure. Um, and he like- I'm glad you talked to him and not another professor. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, SUNY, just right. <laughs> flipped out. Um, SUNY knows another professor I think we both had, and she's been like an amazing um, like teacher for me. Um, but like, he was pointing me to like these different painters that like would go during like the French Revolution, they would go to the guillotine and just like like the heads and do paintings of those. Like there's a whole string of artists who were doing just like paintings of dead corpses. Cause, like, really? Yeah. I don't know the names of them anymore, but they were all in like the 19th century, around 19th and 17th century, because it was kind of like, you're not supposed to touch dead bodies, um, uh -huh. kind of like that. And so like, I just went out there one day and I think it was like a day later and um, I just drug it back to like my parents' garage. This is so weird. And I just like 
cut off its head and I just had a little ceremony <laughs> for like the rest of the body um just like and then I would just like keep it in the deep freezer I would take it to school and like in this black bag no one knew about it and I was just doing these like I think I did a series of three paintings about the head and I would work from like photographs because I was afraid of it like melting or moving and um, finally I was like I'm not getting the painting I want and so I sat up for like um, like 18 hours one day and just did a, a sesh painting session from start to finish and I just had like this this head out like on top of this this table from and life from life yeah I just painted from life and I used a lot of palette knife towards the end and I was I was able to like start to, to see like to visualize and feel like the the space that was like this object on the table and go okay the mark needs to go here and the color needs to be a little bit richer because that space is coming forward and this one needs to be pushed back and so I was see, starting to see like a lot of the things that I had been wanting to see um, and that was like the first painting that I ever made was like sitting in there for 18 hours just painting that and like I think after I made that, like I like buried the head and had like the second half of the funeral, and uh-huh. um, <laughs> and it was weird because like a, a week later there was another pit bull that showed up, like same style, just like bullet wounds, dead, like, dead Shit. in the back, and um, it was kind of like, and I think like a month later, like there the sheriff's department had like rounded up the guys and they had stopped doing it, but like, mm-hmm. um, I think by then it was just kind of like okay, I want to paint something else. And like, that was when I was going into like my thesis research. And I was like, I want to paint something that resembles like the human body. And so like pigs were the natural answer. And so I would just like, it was like a slaughterhouse, like out of town. I would just go down there and I would like pick up this dead pig and just like do a bunch of studies. And like, you just said, can I have this pig? Oh yeah. No, I paid like $85 for it. And okay. like, I would go to like this walk-in freezer and I would just um, do studies of it for like an entire week and just like pose it and like um, take reference images. And then from that came like little three little pig series. And I think <laughs> like where I had to the reference images, like I had um, this barbecue at my house. Like my dad invited a bunch of his friends over and like everyone's just like eating like, like 80 pounds of like meat this and pig going, that you painted? Yeah, this pig that I was about to paint. Like, no one knew, like, what I was doing. <laughs> like, dad knew, and he was like, okay, we got a barbecue. That's cool. Um, and then after that, I just started with the rabbits because I was thinking of, like, these um, things that were, like, a lot more muscular and could be, like, um, defined. And so, like, I had to take off the fur for those. Like, I got them from, like, this farm in Philly somewhere. This, like mail ordered them and they came in the mail, mail ordered <laughs> rabbits like skinned rabbits did yeah. you have to skin them or were they skinned? no, no I, I had to skin them myself and so like um oh that was God. a that was a weird process like i was i think i was starting to get a reputation and i was kind of worried about that so like i wanted to like um and that was part of the augenblick series which was my last piece i did in like my undergrad and it was i went to this cabin in the middle of like the woods is like my grandparents like cabin that they grew up in or they went to for like vacations and like I just spent the entire week just like looking at these things and going like okay you gotta skin them and so like I ended up like skinning two of them and then posing them together like these bodies that were like moving around each other and um thinking about 
these two things that are moving in like this abstracted space and the other one I cooked so it was kind of like (laughs) (laughs) um but like I I would skin them and then like I would paint them with like gesso so like they they looked like these kind of weird slimy Greek statues in a way yeah very like sculptural and it was it was cool to kind of work from that that method um did you work from life from those or did you take uh, yeah photos yeah I, t- I worked from life I did a lot a lot of drawings and trying to figure out like how like the wrist like the forearm moved into like the wrist into like the paws like what that structure looked like and then like how does the head turn like what are like some of the joints it was actually like a lot there's a lot of like studying and going like okay how does this thing move and not just looking yeah. at like reference images like a skeletal system and going okay I think it probably moves this way right um so that was like really engineering yeah no it's super engineering it's going like how does this thing move um and that was like the biggest benefit to doing that because like when i was painting it i was actually imagining like those joints and how the flesh was like moving around like the bones yeah um how would you keep the in-between sessions how would you keep the pose uh, yeah oh yeah 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 the same so I had um, this piece of like plywood, this plank, and I had drilled holes in it with like coat hanger wire <laughs> sticking out of it. And I would wrap it around the different parts. And, mm. like, and then I would just like, I made a place in like this um, deep freezer that was by the kitchen. I would just open that up and just plop them down in there. Um, and I tried at one point to like make a, um, a sculpture, like a, a cast of it with like this type of like, um, special rubber that was for like medical grade stuff or like teeth and like body Mm. parts and stuff but like what I didn't account for was like the thing was like frozen and it's slowly like unfreezing and like collapsing and because of that there's a lot of moisture in there so like the mold would never set up um I never attempted that again because like I thought it would be like really cool to have like the sculpture cast of like this like pouncing like rabbit or something um so that's like the weird origin story of me like working with animals <laughs> in a way. Um, okay. I haven't, like, I, I did one or two things where like I ordered, like when I was working on the rabbits or the, the pigs, like I would order um, from like a science catalog, like this pig fetus. And it was like, I just had it out in the studio and I was just working on like, I, and like do, I did a painting of like the rabbits. And I think Neil Callender has one of those. Yeah. Um, where it was just like this rabbit laid out on like this piece of glass and it was just like painting like what the muscles looked like what the colors were and how like those kind of like intertwined around because like that was like the coolest part about working on the series was going like how does this thing like look and feel in like a two-dimensional space and like making that happen um and I think a year ago, like I brought over some friends and I ordered some rabbits and I started like a, another series um, that was imagining that like the rabbit, like jumping through like this kind of trap that was set and that would, um, but like I stopped because I was like, these, this doesn't have importance or like, it's not what I need to be working on. And so mm. I started another series, but I still have like those reference images um, from that time. And but I made like this big meal with my friends where like I had, I ordered three rabbits, two of the rabbits were part of the meal. And so like I slow cooked the rabbits and like when they were done, they just kind of the meat fell off the bone. <laughs> it was, it was really weird. Cause like I got up at like, I think five o'clock that morning. Cause my roommate at the time was a vegetarian and she would have flipped 
fuck out if she had uh-huh. known what I was doing. So I was uh-huh. like, over the kitchen, like sink and just like gutting this rabbit and going like, what am I doing? <laughs> so it was, um, but that was like a really wonderful meal. Cause like, I think a lot of the, my friends had come in with like dishes and they were like, this is weird, but this is tastes delicious. I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of how that all went down. Jesus, um, you're a woman of many talents. You got you got rabbit skinning, gutting. You got yeah. quilting. You got welding. <laughs> well, when you're from Mississippi and there's not much to do, like you, get, <laughs> you find ways to be entertained. <laughs> It's either that or go to the movies again. True that. Yeah. <laughs> this should do like a little Discovery Channel, like a Swamp People thing for Mississippi, <laughs> I think. They had, uh, last year I was there, they had a drag show. And it was the most Was amazing. it a Ricks? Yeah. There was a Beyonce dancer and they were like, you can't come up, like she can't get off the stage, you have to come to her. And she ended this, she did like the single ladies and she was wearing like this leotard that came up and she was like talked and packaged, but she ended the set with like doing like the, the splits. Like she jumped, did the splits. Yeah. And she had like, I think 40 people just lined up, just throwing like tins at her. <laughs> just like, it was like the best show of that night. And it was like, for me being like a little like gay kid from Mississippi, I was like, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting on. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh. So, um, but yeah, that's what you do when you're in Mississippi. You just learn new skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. If you're a weirdo genius from Mississippi, you learn <laughs> weird skills. <laughs> like, I have a problem, and I need to solve it in the weirdest way possible. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I think I read a story about some, like, some, like, weird rapper some like alternative rapper who like was walking around his house in like sacramento or something and he found a dead dog and he just like burned it and ate it or something it's it's very similar to you it's like you know you find a dead dog cut its head off make a painting kind of cool oh gosh freaky artists when other people describe it like that it sounds really bad yeah i know right (laughs) <laughs> it always makes sense <laughs> with, yeah. with the, uh, like, like this, this is like the this is the only thing that would work and then like you sound like a serial killer or something <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like when I came to grad school I was like I cannot tell anyone about this because <laughs> there would be like so many questions and then... oh my god <laughs> no kidding yeah, you gotta keep it secret Yeah, uh, keep it on the down low at least super on the down low like just Mississippi. Yeah. Like, what's in Mississippi? Gas stations. That's a bad joke. Probably scratch that out. It's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my anyway. God. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, definitely learned a lot. Good. Yeah. <laughs> about you, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enjoy talking to you. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Um, so you're on the Instagram. I am on the Instagram. It you're is, on, yeah. It's Hannah underscore Mac Broom. It's M-C-B-R-O-O-M. Cool. And Facebook is probably not as important, but I'm on the web <laughs> at hannahmacbroom.com. All right. Uh,
So, yeah. Cool. Anything you want to, uh, final thoughts you want to add? Any sort of um, things you've learned from grad school? Anything that's on your mind at all? Um, I have so many ideas in my head. Just kind of like, I think just the last three years of just compacting information. I'm very excited to see like what I do in the next like five years or so. Yeah, um, I think there's gonna. Yeah, I think once it all comes back up to the surface, it's going to be like, I think I'm going to be hitting like my prime and stuff. So that's mm. going to be exciting for me. Um, but if you're interested in grad school, just like feel free to reach out to me. I can tell you about the U of A program more in detail or just about grad school in general. It's, it's super, um, it was extremely important for like my development as an artist and I don't think I would be where I am if I hadn't spent like the three years just like studying and talking and like pouring like hours into the studio. Um, I think it's like the biggest like energy boost you can get as an artist is like going and spending and dedicating like two or three years um, to your craft, to your research and getting feedback on it. I think that's the biggest benefit of the, the grad program for here or anywhere else. So. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. ATW. Hannah just had another interview with Arkansas radio station, so you can get your Hannah McBroom fix while it's hot. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate you listening to this stuff. Thank you for showing me your support all the way to the end. Wow. You're a great person. Here, let me, let me brush your ears with my gentle voice as a thank you. I hope you really, really enjoy that. All right, I know you like that, but I have to go have business and duty to attend to. I'll see you next week.